Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 53-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Buff Stampede Radio. I hope you enjoyed our basketball show earlier in the week. This show, all about football, Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, we uh, we did a lot of work on signing day. We put together a video for every single signee, and uh, I enjoyed doing that with you. So a lot of people know our thoughts on the 2016 class. Yeah, you did your signee rankings, your top ten. I did my post signing day award. So. We put a lot of information out there about 2016 recruiting. This show focused on moving ahead to 2017 recruiting, spring football practices. But before we do that, any final signing day thoughts from the time we, we finished those, those videos to Mike McIntyre's press conference and all, all the kind of the, the reaction after signing day? Yeah, I, mean, I think I would just say that doing the top 10 made me really realize how uh, top heavy, I guess is the wrong word, but there's a lot of talent at the top end of this class. Um, I had Trey Udofi at 10, and I feel really good about him helping this program. Uh, he would not be anywhere near 10 in any of the recent classes. So to me, um, there's a lot of talent coming in, and that's huge for us. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we're going to be very happy with how this class turned out. So, I mean, it's another step in the right direction. The thing that kind of stood out to me is after Mike McIntyre's signing day press conference, he did a kind of a local media scrum, and... I was asking him about the facilities and the impact, and he flat out admitted that they don't get some guys in, in their 2016 class if it wasn't for the facilities. I think we all kind of assume that, but to hear Mike McIntyre actually confirm that was, was interesting to me. Obviously, you would look at a guy like Bo Bichirat, Jawan Winfrey, the four-star guys, and then even before that, you bring up Trey Udofia, a guy like him, the South Plantation guys, Anthony Julmis and Johnny Huntley. It's hard to know with 100% certainty, but I don't know if... if I don't think most of those guys are Colorado Buffalo signees, if not for the new facilities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's tough to pull kids out of Florida. You know what I mean? So you got you got to have something special to show them, and I think the facilities for us right now are, is that is that next piece. With Darren Cheverini's energy and those facilities complete for this whole 2017 recruiting cycle, your imagination can kind of run wild about what they could potentially do with this 2017 class, which is going to be a full class. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about 2017 recruiting and spring ball as well. Got a lot of great questions from, from fans, so let's dive right into our mailbag. You've got mail, 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 m
Vince Beluskak, and I hope I didn't just butcher your last name here. Uh, he asked on Twitter, do you like the football coaching realignment? Do you see it making a difference for the offensive line? Unless you've been under a rock, you know that Darian Hagan has been promoted to running backs coach. Clayton Adams shifting over to offensive line coach. Gary Bernardi no longer the offensive line coach. He will now coach the tight ends and fullbacks. Tyler, I'll let you have the first word here. What was your reaction to, to the coaching realignment? Um, I think it's a safe move, but also a smart one. I mean, I think they really wanted to get Hagen's recruiting abilities back out on the road rather than being stuck here in Boulder. He's very storied in the program. Uh, kids seem to love him when he goes out recruiting. Um, I didn't have any issues with him as a running back coach before. Um, so to me, I, I'm happy to see him get back on the staff. I and mean, I'm sure there's some guys that would have been a bigger splash out there. But I, I do think that um, at this point in the stage for McIntyre, it's good to get another familiar face back on the staff. Um, so I think it'll work out well. I, I like Adams going back to offensive line. He's been there before. He's a little bit more of a personality. I think it'll help with recruiting, um, those type of guys. And um, I think it's just kind of like a passing of the torch, I guess, for lack of a better term, from Bernardi, who's you know getting up there a bit. And I think you know you see out there that maybe he's not going to be coaching that much longer in his career, it sounds like. So I, I like that he's still going to be around. With those guys, I mean, fullbacks and tight ends are almost an extension of the line. So he'll, he'll still be in that role a little bit. I would think they'll probably work together. Um, and I, I think it's good for Adams, too. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see how it all works out in the end. Um, it, I guess it really just depends on how Bernardi takes the... I don't know if I want to say demotion is the right word, but more or less that's, that's the case. Um, if he's salty about it, uh, there could be some tension there. But if he's comfortable in the new role, then I think it could work out really well. Yeah, with Darian Hagan, I think people forget that they had 1,000-yard rushers with him as the position coach there. He helped recruit the number one-ranked one running back in the nation to Boulder. And you go, well, it's part of his fault, the fact that Daryl Scott didn't develop. I was covering that program, obviously, and, and saw that situation very closely. Daryl Scott did not have the work ethic to be an elite college running back. And, uh, I mean, you could say, well, Colorado should have seen that during the recruiting process. But everyone had offered that kid yeah, a scholarship. Yeah, I mean, he had 100 offers, it seemed like. So, yeah, I mean, that's – you can hang on a Daryl Scott recruitment. It didn't work out. But I don't – I mean, it's almost like water under the bridge at this point. It, not to mention he also landed Rodney Stewart, who worked out pretty well for us as well, in, yeah. you know, as a backup option. So – I mean, and I Ray Polk that class, which was a four-star running back. Of course, yeah, he didn't play yeah. running back in college, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, to me, I'm really on a macro level. I guess I'm really excited about the potential of this 2017 class. I was talking about it on Twitter. It was a couple of days after signing day, really, that it usually took me until about the summer before I was ready for recruiting again. And it was it was literally right away. Wanted to lose no momentum this year. I was like, let's get back out there and land some guys because you could finally see the wheels turning. And another thing too with Darian Hagen and going into uh, an operations role there, that happened right when when John Embry was hired was literally days after Darian Hagen's son committed suicide. So it made sense that they wanted to kind of move him into, I don't want to say a position that didn't have demands, but a lesser p position yeah. than being on the field coaching guys every day. Um, Nips13 on the Stampede message board asked, opinion of why McIntyre moved Bernardi to his new role. I think part of this is the fact that you look at their offensive staff with Lindgren, Cheverini, Hagen, and Adams, the other offensive assistants. None of those guys are necessarily green, but none of them are really experienced guys. And I think 
part of the thinking to keeping Bernardi on staff was to have a, an old wise guy that's been around the block a bunch of times in case a Clayton Adams needs to lean on him for, for X, Y, Z. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you look at his personality in public and he doesn't seem like the most interesting guy, but it really seems like most of the players, you know, tend to like him. They think that he's a fair coach. Um, so I think most of them are probably pretty happy that he's back, it seems like. Um, from what the linemen have said. So, I don't know. It wasn't necessarily what I would have liked to have seen, but I, I do think that how he's made this transition um, is probably the best possible scenario if he's going to be here. Um, it's at a position that we don't necessarily focus on as much, um, but he's still in a position where he can help out Adams if necessary in specific um, packages and things like that. So, to, to me, I think he's, yeah, I agree with you. He's kind of probably in that mentorship role for the offense at this point. I kind of get the fan that goes, well, couldn't they bring in a young stud recruiter since Bernardi is technically only coaching the tight ends and fullbacks? Again, I think Bernardi will lend his ear for other things beyond just his role on mm -hmm. the field. Uh, but, I, I, again, I can understand the thinking of why didn't they bring in a younger guy that can recruit. For sure, yeah, I can as well. I, I will say that people tend to talk about his connections in Arizona being huge as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that holds true because we we got three guys in the previous class to this year, but we haven't got, we didn't get one this year or the year before that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if we do go back into Arizona. I think you'll see if there's a sign we don't get any Arizona kids this year that we're probably slowly moving out of him being an impact recruiter for us. Isaiah Oliver is going to blow up this year, and people are going to think, oh, Bernhardi brought him in, so at least he, he did a solid there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Oliver is an awesome player. I was actually, so I was in Breck this weekend, we talked about that a little bit on the other podcast, and uh, I was with a guy who's from Arizona, and he was talking about the kids from Colorado, and I was talking to him about Isaiah Oliver, and he was like, yeah, I just remember him just being just a blazing athlete, and I couldn't believe he wasn't getting any looks from anybody. And he ended up with you guys, and I was like, yeah, he's going to be starting this year. Yep. He's so yep. good. <laughs> <laughs> B to the Uffs asked, does Darian Hagan to running backs coach and Clayton Adams to offensive line coach have as much to do with improving offensive line recruiting as the actual coaching of the offensive line? The Hagan part of this question doesn't make sense to me. Obviously, that has a lot to do with recruiting. In terms of Adams moving to O-line having to do with recruiting, I don't know. I mean, Cheverini, the new recruiting coordinator, does want the position coaches to take more of an active role in the recruiting process of particular prospects. But I think it was more to give Adams a shot there. This is a, a guy that's kind of put in his work. He's, he's a sharp guy. He was an offensive center, an all-conference guy in college. He, for the first four years of his coaching career at a lower in lower conference schools, was an offensive line coach. So he has some history there. Mm -hmm. I think it was more of, uh, let's give Clayton Adams a shot here. He's kind of waited his turn. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I think this is more of a natural coach for position for him um, rather than what he was doing in the past. So I think it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously he did a really good job about Bishrat down the stretch. Um, I will be interested to see if we can get some linemen that – other programs were going after heavily out of that state this year. Um, he's done a pretty good job recruiting big names in the past. So I, th I, do, I do think it puts him in a better position to succeed, not only as a position coach, but in a recruiting role for this program yeah. too. So to kind of answer, finish up answering that question, I, I don't think it was the number one reason for Adams moving to O-line coach, but you could see some benefits on the recruiting trail as a result of that. 
C. Badeau on the Stampede Elite message board asked, I wonder about the process of shifting the staff around after signing day. Could this have always been the plan or was this the result of Mike McIntyre being seen as a potential lame duck coach? I think Mike McIntyre wanted Darian Hagan to go out on the recruiting trail in January and late December and see, does he still have it? Can he make inroads with some recruits? And Darian Hagan wasn't asked to recruit the 2016 signees. What he was doing was going out to high schools for 2017 recruits, 2018 recruits. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say that Darian Hagan did a great job. This is from parents and coaches during that time. So I think that was part of it in terms of the timing. And Mike McIntyre has proven to be very methodical during the hiring process. You, you forget a year ago before signing day, the fan base was freaking out about the defensive coordinator vacancy. And Mike McIntyre took his time, and then bam, Joe Tumpkin and Jim Levin, and everyone's doing somersaults. And with the, the, with the uh, Drew Wilson hire, he took time. He interviewed a bunch of guys. In this situation, it wasn't necessarily interviewing a bunch of guys, but I think he, again, wanted to see what Hagen was going to do there. Was this the result of Mike McIntyre being seen as a potential lame duck coach? That's tough for me to answer because Mike McIntyre didn't let anybody in on this hiring process. It wasn't like he was telling his staff, hey, I'm interviewing these guys, but Darian's still a potential candidate. He was very close to the vest. So I don't know if he even interviewed anybody else. That information never came out if he did. Um, it's kind of, it reminds me, that question reminds me of, remember when Cody Hawkins was here and people would always say, they can't recruit another blue chip quarterback because Cody Hawkins is on the roster. And it's hard to quantify. Yeah. You know, is that the reason they didn't recruit another blue chip quarterback or they just weren't able to recruit? So I, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll answer the first question is, uh, could this have always been the plan? I, I would say that this was what he wanted to happen more than not so. Um, I, I kind of we had hints of this months ago, um, and I think that unless something drastic happened, this is where he was probably going to go all along. Um, he, I, I guess I would put it this way: he put Hagen into an internship um, to see if he was capable mm-hmm. of you know making this transition. And I and I think for for all intents and purposes, from what we've heard, you did a great job, and that was kind of the seal on the envelope, I guess. So I, I think. All in all, this is where he wanted to go from the beginning. Hagen held up his end of the bargain, did what he was supposed to do. Um, a lot of the 17 kids, uh, we, we heard good things from them. And uh, I think he's I think he's confident in the move now going forward. I mean, he should be. And I think part of it, too, again, kind of with Mike McIntyre being methodical, I think maybe he wanted signing day, the madness of signing day, to come and go and for him to be, kind of reflect, be able to sit down and go, okay, is this yeah. – going to be the, the, the right decision here. And Darian Hagan told us uh, on Saturday after the annou- announcement was made by CU that he went to Mike McIntyre eight months ago and said, hey, I want to get back on the field. So again, this was kind of brewing behind the scenes. Didn't really surprise anybody. And uh, let's move along here to our next question. This one came from Twitter. Vince Baluchek, and uh, again, I hope I'm not butchering your last name. He asked, can you tell if new strength and conditioning coach Drew Wilson is making a difference so far? The one thing I do know is the players love him, and that was the biggest concern for them when they fired Dave Foreman was finding a guy that the players would buy into. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more of a comfort level. You can see that on Twitter, talking about him all the time with the players. Um, I can't say for sure because we haven't really seen the guy since the season ended. Uh, Once we get into spring ball and we can kind of make notable difference of what guys look like, 
I think that's the big thing. But, I mean, I do think it is a big step that they seem to be taking to him on a more personal level than the previous coaches, Dave Foreman. Um, so I think it's a step in the right direction. Whether or not they, he makes these guys bigger, faster, stronger, we'll see come spring ball. I don't even know if spring ball, honestly. I think that's – I mean, he just started working with them in mid-January. I don't know if two months is enough to really yeah, even we'll decipher much. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, with the strength guy, it's almost probably a year, a couple year long yeah. thing, a couple of year long trajectory. But um, I mean, you'll see some changes among some of the guys who probably bought into him right away that didn't with Foreman in the past. Obviously, the guys that like Drew Wilson the most are the linemen. They're doing the Olympic lifts. They're grunting. They're getting hit in the weight room. Underday Foreman, I know some of the offensive linemen didn't like the fact that they were doing like. CrossFit stuff in the middle of the season. It's kind of like, this is not what we do. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think people have said that he's uh, he does a better job of catering to each individual unit's needs rather than kind of having the same basic concepts throughout the whole entire team. And I think that's important because it's, I mean, if you're a wide receiver, you shouldn't be training the same as a lineman. Yeah. And I think, you know, everyone wants to just pile on to a coach that is no longer on the staff. I think Dave Foreman did a lot of innovation type stuff with the skill guys. And they had offered Matt McChesney a spot to work with the linemen last year and with the thought that, okay, he can kind of take care of that group and Foreman can work with the other guys and then we'll be, we'll be well off. But in the end, the fact that uh, after the season happened and Mike McIntyre's meeting with players and one after another is saying that they don't get along with the strength coach, that was a huge red flag. And, and it seems like they've at least fixed that issue. So making a difference so far, I would say yes from that standpoint. Sand Buff on the Stampede Elite message board asked, can you give us your thoughts on the indoor practice facility? It looks amazing and I think could be the biggest difference maker on CU's team sports. How will it make the football players better? Tyler, I'll let you lead off here. Uh, well, I've been in it, and it is gorgeous. It is absolutely awesome, and uh, it'll make their football players better simply because they're going to be able to land better guys. I, I think that's the first step for sure. Um, in, in terms of the guys that are already on campus, that they're going to make them better because it's just efficient. You can your The weight room is right there. The indoor practice facility is right there. The training room is right there. Uh, all the snacks are right there. Um the academic center is right there. You know, like it's it's you don't have to go to all these other places anymore like they used to have to do back in the day. And so for me, everything they need is like a one stop shop. Uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, people people want to be in that facility. Like, it, you know, like if you had to go weight train in some dungeon, it would not <laughs> be as fun. But you get to go into that building and you like see what your hard work is can get you. Yeah, uh, I think that's important. I mean, it's you know, it's inspiring to be in a place like that. You get to play at a uh, program that is able to put those kind of things onto the ground. So yeah, you hit it on the head. It's it's great for recruiting and it's great for. Dave Foreman told me that they would lose fifteen minutes going down the hill to the to the practice fields and lose fifteen minutes going back up every time they wanted to do go from weightlifting to conditioning. That's a half an hour. You're limited in the amount of hours you can work with guys in a given week, so that cuts into your time. You do have to mention, though, the fact that the practice bubble was very functional. They were able to get everything done down there. It just was kind of a pain having to go up and down that hill. But from in terms of them being able to do things in practice now that they weren't before in the bubble, that's really not a dramatic difference, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. In terms of being able to do stuff at practice, yeah, I don't see a whole lot different. It's just, like I said, the efficiency of getting to all yeah. these different places that makes it more convenient for everybody. 
at Unico David Smith on Twitter asked, is Darren Shiverini going to coordinate special teams as well as recruiting and co-offense? Good question because Shiverini was uh, at one point at Texas Tech the special teams coordinator. No, from, from what I understand is they will split up the special teams responsibilities, which is what most schools do and what you should do. I never quite understood the theory of having a full-time special teams coach because if you go to practice and you're practicing special teams, Toby Nidus could not facilitate everything. He still needed people to help with the punt returners. Right. He still needed... So you're going to have to split up the responsibilities anyway. So now at least you have a full-time running backs coach, which I think was important. There will probably be somebody on the staff that gets the special teams coordinator tag. You would think they usually do that, but it won't be like it was with Toby Nice. I know Gary Bernardi was a special teams coordinator at USC for like four years. So maybe he could potentially take on that responsibility since he's not you know, coaching a, a position that demands a whole bunch. I mean, obviously, he's still got a lot of things to do with the tight ends and fullbacks, but that would be one guy that maybe could do it. Cheverini could do it. Um, but again, the responsibilities will be split up. Is there anything you want to add? Yeah, there? I guess the only thing that my – it'll be interesting to see in years past with um, Ninus there, he spent a lot of time with the kickers and the punters. And if they're splitting up duties, I would expect they're going to be asked to do stuff on their own now. Um, so that will be kind of an interesting practice dynamic, how they handle that aspect of it. But, yeah, from an overall special teams unit, I think it would be nice that everybody has a responsibility somewhere. I think Chevrolet will probably, I don't know if he'll have the title, but maybe have the most input there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who else they have work with those guys. Darrow O'Neill and, and Alex Kenny had success as punters, but I don't think that Toby Nye is spending extra time with those guys in practice yeah. really yielded these crazy results. I mean, obviously, place kicking was one of the biggest issues on the team last year. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it means anything at all, but I'll just yeah. be interested to see how they handle that because they really are going to have to have their own regimen. Like, I'm sure somebody will be like, this is what you're doing for the day. They'll peek in on them, but everybody's got, you know, an, another unit to watch over as well. So in practice, I think they're going to kind of be more on their own. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes up. Kent Riddle told me, and I know this is another fan favorite, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he used to tell me that a lot of these guys have kicking coaches and stuff that growing up that they would work with. And like during breaks or even like during weekends, sometimes they would go and work with those guys to get in that extra work to make up for the fact that there's not necessarily a kicking specialist on yeah. staff. And Toby Ninus, he, he really worked hard with those guys, but I don't even know if in his background if he had, it's not like he's, you know, Chris Saylor or anything like yeah. that. Uh, moving along here. Forecast 6236 asked, are we legitimately going to run the air raid? Because that would suck. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I mean, Darren Shiverini was at Texas Tech, and, and that offense scored a lot of points, put up a lot of yards. So you're going to pick his brain, and they're going to mesh some things. But it's not like you're going to see Texas Tech's offense if you go out to a spring practice. Yeah, and I would also say Texas Tech running the ball a lot better than most people would give them credit for as well. In, your, in years past, too. So, uh, I mean, I don't, would it suck? Maybe. If we go to a bowl game, I couldn't care less what offense we run. They're scoring 55 points a game. No yeah. one's complaining. No, yeah. I really don't care. If we start winning football games, we can run whatever offense they want. All right. I think that's a decent enough answer here for that question. B to the Uffs asked, I believe it was said that Darren Chevarini wants the assistant coaches to recruit the positions they coach. Wondering how that plays into areas like Florida. Will Darian Hagan be the main recruiter for a running back from Florida, even though Joe Tumpkin and Jim Levitt have better connections there? Uh, from what I understand here is that 
Joe Tumpkin will still recruit the Miami area. Jim Levitt will still recruit the Tampa area and all the way down in terms of coaches and their responsibility for recruiting that area. But once a prospect is offered and identified as a top target, that's when the position coach comes in and has a heavier role on social media, hitting up them through direct messages, calling them, keeping in contact, down the road, the in-home visits. It's not going to change the evaluation process part of it. Yeah, I think it just uh, promotes more of a team environment in terms of recruiting these guys. I think that's probably the right way to do it. You have the guys who are most comfortable in the area go in, make those first couple statements, get the guys involved. And then you bring in the guy who's going to be coaching them for their four or five years while they're on campus as well. I think that both sides of that recruiting are important, a piece that's been missing in years past. I would want to know my running backs coach if I was a running back. You know, like, wouldn't you? So to me, I think it's an important piece um, once you build that relationship with a guy who's recruiting your area to also build a relationship with that guy who's going to be coaching you for four or five years in school. And I'd be surprised if it's like a baton you just hand off. I would imagine that because yeah. Jim Levitt's still going to be going down to the Tampa area during an evaluation period, stopping by the high school, talking to the head coach, being part of those in-home visits. I would imagine that's how it's yeah, going to play be, out. Like I said, it'll be a team environment. You're going to have both these guys working these kids' ears down instead of just one. At L underscore Rod on Twitter asked, who's the highest priority quarterback recruit that is attainable? I don't know if you've had a chance to watch his film yet, but Chase Cord from Peoria, Arizona, is a guy to really keep a close eye on. Uh, He's going to visit Colorado for the spring game. He has other offers from Indiana and Iowa State right now. He plays at the Division III level in Arizona, not the best competition level. He put up video game numbers playing at that lower classification. More than 4,200 yards and 65 touchdowns as a junior. What what are your thoughts on Chase Cord? Yeah, and like four interceptions too, right? Something crazy like that. Not many. 65 and four. That's just insane. Um, So he fits our offense perfectly, which is what you want more than anything with a quarterback, in my opinion. Um, He's a guy that we got on early, has a lot of interest in us, already ranked nationally um, at his position on rivals. Uh, I think he's a 5.6 RR guy right now. Most of that has to do with the fact that he's playing in a lower level. Starting to get some big offers, um, gain some more interest. It'll be interesting to see if he does any 7-on-7 tournaments this summer, goes to camps, um, and we'll see how he performs at those. But he's a guy that I think really fits well into what we're trying to do more than um, he's just a guy that's a really talented player. I mean, he, he's both of those things, but I think he's a perfect fit for what we want to do here, and that's the most important aspect with him. He attended an Arizona camp last. I'm sorry, Arizona State camp last summer, and Rob Cassidy, one of the rivals recruiting analysts, saw him there and really liked him. Arizona State's actually showing interest in him. It's kind of one of those situations where a lot of schools have, are going after the blue chippers. Yep. Once those guys start committing, out, if they commit elsewhere, kind of the dominoes fall. I, you know, Chase Court could be a guy that all of a sudden has like an Arizona State offer, and mm-hmm. you're going, gosh, I wish he would have committed to Colorado yeah. versus now he's only got the Iowa State and Indiana offers. It looks a little different. Um, I think he would be a pretty good get for Colorado. Uh, 49ers won on the Stampy Elite message board asked, what 2017 Colorado recruits are showing interest in CU, and will the first commit for 2017 come from a Colorado kid? Uh, I think with the... Uh, Colorado recruits from, from the class of 2017 that are showing interest in CU. You talk about the Mullen trio, Marcus McElroy Jr., running back, Christian Cumber, a cornerback prospect, and Isaiah Banks, a big safety who might grow into an outside linebacker. All those guys have gotten the most interest from CU at this point. And you talk to them, and they all seem to kind of have this intrigue with the out-of-state schools. I don't know where those guys are going to – right now their interest is pretty strong in Colorado – 
if some outside schools, uh, out-of-state colleges start offering them, I don't know what's gonna, how that dynamic's going to work out, but they're all really quality guys. I went out to a Mullen game this last year, and uh, this is going to sound really negative, but you go out to most Colorado high school games, and you can see the one college recruit. Like You don't even have to know what he looks like or his number. You just kind of look around and go, oh, th- that's got to be him, right? Yeah. And some games, the, let's be honest, a bunch of the players look like midgets out there yeah. you know, next to, to that Division One recruit. Went out to Mullen, and all those guys, and then uh, Adrian Jackson, who is just a, a, he's a, a 2018 kid, all those guys look like they could fit into a college program right away. And that, that, that's very refreshing, going out to a high yeah. school, Colorado high Colorado. school game and seeing that. Uh, some other guys, Jonathan Van Deest uh, from Cherry Creek, Dante Sparacco from Cherry Creek, they seem to have genuine interest in CU. I know a lot of people are predicting Van Deest is going to be CU's first pledge because uh, his family has shown a lot of uh, interest in CU. He's been up to CU a ton of times. Yeah, but he's got now offers from Nebraska and Washington State, so some other power conference schools after him. And he's going to, I believe, take a visit to Lincoln for the Husker spring game on April 16th. So chances are he's not committing to Colorado before that point. Uh, he's actually going to be up at CU this week, though, for something they call student for, for a day. Uh, and this is something Jonathan wanted to do. It, again, showing very strong interest in CU, the fact that he wants to go up to Boulder and he's going to go to class, he's going to go through training table, he's going to hang out with Mike McIntyre. So any kid that is going to hang out all, all day on campus obviously has strong interest. What are your thoughts on some of this in-state stuff? Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's the one that's the most likely at this very moment. Um, I'm going to trust Papa Van Dees to not let his kid <laughs> go to Nebraska. So I hope you, you didn't like it. You didn't like it when it. I said he plans to go to their spring game. No. I saw that look in your eye. Dude, I just, <laughs> no, man, come on. You can almost go anywhere else. I think that that's like the one school that legit. For I don't even know how. In the last year, it's been Arizona has crept up there for me as well, and Nebraska, like the two that I just get angry about. <laughs> if you go to those two over Colorado, I get angry. So I've been doing this job for fourteen years. I feel like I know what I'm doing, and then Jonathan Van Deest tweets out his Nebraska offer. So I just out of habit, I embed that that tweet on the Stampy Late Message Board. And man, people were it's, not happy. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> they did not like it's, to see that Nebraska logo yeah, on, on the CU board. No Nebraska red ends <laughs> running around the board. Yeah, so I mean, he's the guy that I do feel the, the most confident in right now. Honestly, I haven't got to see the Mullen Trio yet, so I'm interested to check them out this fall um, and in camps and that stuff. We'll see if they come up to some of the summer camps that we got to cover last year. And Sparocco is a kid who we saw at camp last year, and he is an athlete, man, for sure. Um, It'll be interesting to see what kind of other offers he gets out there because he's moved around schools, he's moved around positions. I think people are kind of still in the wait-and-see approach with him, and I think that can help us because he's, yeah. a guy, he's a guy that's very talented. Yeah, he had to sit out half of his junior year transferring over to Cherry Creek, and then when he got in there, he was playing primarily as a blocking tight end. Again, not a position where you're going to stand out, but we saw him at that camp, and I, he definitely fits in with the Pac-12 program yeah. somewhere. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's a big body and he's really athletic. I mean, it's, it was almost surprising to see that that was the best position they could find to put him on the field this year at Cherry Creek because you think someone with that much athleticism could help you on defense especially. I'd imagine when he transferred there pretty late in the summer, I'd imagine they'll have more of a prominent role for him from him next year. At some point, his recruitment's going to take off a little bit here. Um, at Jack Barsh on Twitter asked, Who's going to be the first commit for the 2017 class? Uh, we kind of got that question already. Uh, well, I guess we didn't answer the question. 49ers won. Will the first commit 
come from a Colorado kid. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll step out on a limb here and predict Chase Cord is their first commit. I don't yeah, know. I was going to say it's probably a pretty close tie between Chase Cord and Jonathan Van Deese right now is the two that I feel the most confident in. Um, I don't know if any of them are going to be super early. And to be honest, there's not like one guy who's like, yeah, this is going to happen at this very moment. So we'll see how it plays out. The main reason One I pick Court is because quarterbacks typically yeah, commit first. first. Yeah. So, Nittany Buff 24, he wants to know what coaches are responsible for what states in recruiting. Okay, well, Brian Lindgren basically recruits quarterbacks. We haven't seen him recruit a ton outside of that. Darian Hagan coming on will recruit Dallas some. Obviously, he'll recruit the Los Angeles area. He'll spend some time recruiting Colorado in-state. Uh, Clayton Adams recruits Northern California. He's got some JUCO connections. Uh, Gary Bernardi, where you talked earlier, recruits Arizona. He does some, like the Inland Empire, I think, in California. Yeah. Jim Jeffcoat recruits the Dallas area in El Paso. Jim Levitt recruits, of course, the Tampa area. He recruits some in the Midwest, kind of a JUCO thing there. He'll recruit in-state as well. Charles Clark will recruit Georgia now, yeah. which is, cool. they were successful recruiting out there. He recruits the uh, Jacksonville area, and he'll do some L.A. stuff as well. Joe Tumpkin recruits out in California as well, some in the L.A. area. He does the Miami area out in Florida. And then uh, who am I forgetting here? Well, L- Los- or, uh, Louisiana is mostly Levitt too, right? It, uh, no, I'm sorry. Louisiana is Tumpkin as well. Tumpkin as well. Yep. Okay. He was responsible for the John Eric guys and getting them to sign Karan Bayham. Did I forget anybody there? I don't think so. Okay. That's kind of the breakdown. STL Buff 89 asked, with Troy Walters gone, are any of the coaches specifically responsible for Denver Metro area recruiting? Hagen took over that during the late December, January periods where they were out on the road. And he seemed to make good inroads with the, the Moltmullen guys and the Cherry Creek guys. Marcus McElroy Jr. is a running back, so I think Colorado's chances of getting him went up substantially with Darren Hagen being promoted to running backs coach. And I think uh, you're going to see Darren Cheverini uh, recruit some of the, some of the uh, metro area as well. We already talked about the fact that you know these position coaches are going to help t- taking over recruiting these guys once they're identified as top targets. So you're really going to see kind of everybody pitching in a little bit yeah. with those metro area. We did talk about Cheverini, by the way. Who does Texas? Who does Dallas yeah. and uh, California and in-state as well. Yeah. yeah. So, do you like that? What? Those responsibilities? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, Hagen being an in-state guy is good because, I mean, people have ties to him at Colorado. Um, he's a memorable name if you follow CU at all. Yeah. Um, the dad, the dads definitely know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cheverini, I think it's important because he's a recruiting coordinator. This is our home base. So I think it's important for him as well. And obviously you want to get Levin in there as well because of his personality. So, I mean, and, and like I said, it, whoever the guys that take the most interest in us, all their position coaches will at some point be involved as well. So Every coach that comes to Colorado says, we have to recruit well in-state. They all say that. Yeah. Darren Cheverini, you can tell in his voice, though, it annoys him when in-state guys <laughs> leave. So yeah. that, that's good. It, to not only say it, but be annoyed if they'd go elsewhere. Yeah, no, I mean, I like that for sure, but he's still going to take the guys that help the program. Which yeah. I, you yeah. know, there's that distinction as well. One ALCD on the Stampede Elite message board asked, do you think Darren Cheverini will be heavily in- 
excuse me, heavily involved with in-state recruiting. And how do you think Hagen will be involved going forward since it appears he was doing a good job with the Cherry Creek kids before he officially got the running backs job? We kind of uh, tackled that already. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> At Bama Whiny on Twitter asked, I know it's early, but who, what position is CU targeting for the 2017 class? Is there someone they really want? First off, Bama, you usually don't expect to, to see that on a Twitter handle. That's uh, I like that you said it was whiny, too. <laughs> I don't know. If, I think it's probably Winnie, but I, I would get, got a little chuckle at the whiny. So. Yeah, so I guess it is Winnie. My well, it, was only, it was only because the reason I chuckled is because of Jim Harbaugh's tweet after all the SEC coaches you're talking about. Is it, is it pretty to be whining or whatever? <laughs> so Bama whiny just made me laugh. <laughs> Well, there's 113 known offers out to 2017 recruits. We're obviously not going to go down the list of 113 guys. <laughs> um, nine of those guys are in-state prospects. In terms of kind of needs, I think safety, tight end, and defense line, to me, when I looked at the post-signing day eligibility chart, were kind of glaring yeah. areas. And then obviously offensive line, I think they're maybe not from a numbers perspective, but just in terms of, we want to get some guys that we feel good about other, yeah. te- other teams being interested in yeah. as well this year. Maybe a couple of guys that you don't need to gray shirt. I think it, just from an impo- just from the importance of you know you get a little bit of heat off of your back in terms of how that recruiting is going this year as well. Plus, you always want a couple linemen in your class. Yeah, there's three seniors I believe on scholarship that are offensive linemen. I think they sign at least four. Um, you're always wanting to kind of build that cupboard up. If they sign four, I think Colorado fans, for the most part, would be fine. If two or three of those guys, you compete with other Power Five. The one or two sleepers on the O-line is not necessarily a bad thing. You just don't want them all to be in that category. Um, In terms of specific recruits, I guess we'll talk about a few here. One guy, we haven't really talked about him in a while, is a name that needs to be brought back up, is Josh Follow. He's a four-star tight end out of the Sacramento area. Of course, the younger brother of NJ Follow who is going into his sophomore year at CU. Uh, Josh already has 12 power conference offers. Now, he is very interested in Cal and some of these other schools recruiting him, and he's going to take his time with the process, visit a lot of schools. I know Mom is a huge fan of Mike McIntyre and would probably prefer if he went to go play with Brother. Yeah, I mean, there was a family connection previous to NJ, too. Yes, Nate Nate Follow, their oldest. Was at San Jose. Was at San Jose State. And and what really endeared the family to Mike McIntyre back then was the fact that he had a knee injury his senior year, and a lot of other schools that were recruiting him backed off, and Mike McIntyre stood strong. So he kind of built that strong bond with that family from the very beginning. Yeah, I almost feel like the longer we stay in the running there, the better with Josh, because there definitely is that family connection. Um He's going to get more competition than either of the two brothers had, definitely. But, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think if we still are in the running as we get a close to signing day, uh, that, that bodes well for us because I think we've seen in recruiting time and time again, mom wins out a lot, and, and having her on our side is an important factor. I think you got to keep a close eye on the La Mirada trio, too. They've already offered tight end Sire Woods, linebacker Chase Newman, and uh, athlete Elijah Hux. They're all three-star prospects on Rivals. Colorado, they were the, the finalists there uh, for Tony Brown two years ago. He goes to Texas Tech. This last year, Keanu Celiapaga, they're one of the two finalists. He goes to BYU. I think they at least get one of these three guys. I don't think Mike Machete is going to let th- that happen again. Yeah, I almost feel like it's kind of funny. I almost feel like Machete is now pissed. He's that, a, he he, he would, did not like Keanu Celiapaga's decision. Yeah. 
He's very honest about it. Yeah, going to um, other schools. So I, I think this year he's going to like, I don't know, can I say that he's going to actively recruit someone to Colorado? Because I, I don't know if that's... What's well, different than saying you have to go there, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think this year, now that they... He's got buddies there, right? Darren and is a big piece for him. So I think he's going to... He'll be pushing Colorado on some kids a little bit more than in years past, I think. So someone will probably find a way to get somebody out of there this year. If you're a BuffStampede.com subscriber, you've already noticed I've done updates on Sire Woods and Chase Newman. Um, and I've got Hucks on my call list, too, so... Uh, you can read more. Both those guys that, that I talked to already, Woods and Newman, were, were pretty pretty interested in CU. Buff underscore four underscore life on Twitter. I'm sorry, this was from the Stampede Elite message board. Asked, what's the story with Sharon Jones? Playball said it would eventually come out, but what really happened? I don't think Sharon Jones has talked publicly about this, and I'm just not comfortable airing somebody's situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it worked out in the end well for us. We got a guy that we feel comfortable in next year, and I feel pretty good about. Do you really think though that Sharon Jones leaving had anything to do with them getting Davis Webb? I think Davis Webb still comes because Sharon Jones is going to have to sit out anyways. No, I I don't think that had anything to do with it at all. I just think that in the end, I feel pretty good about our quarterback pipeline right now. With Davis taking over this year, we'll see if Cepho comes back, and I still feel really good about Montez. So, very bizarre situation though. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it only happens to Colorado. I feel like. (laughs) <laughs> Did you know that there was a 14-day transfer no. rule? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I've never seen anybody back out of a transfer before. It's kind of interesting. And apparently, and this is from people really close to Sharon Jones, he actually liked Colorado. So let that kind of point you in the direction you needed to go for yeah. kind of <laughs> reading what, between what the lines here. Yeah. All right, moving on. Sandbuff. This is uh, an interesting question. And he says, you don't have to address this one if it's too off the wall, but hey, <laughs> we got time. He said, I saw a documentary on PEDs. Apparently their use is widespread and athletes are using them with immunity. Do you guys have a sense about how much they are used in college football, especially by teams CU plays? I don't think CU players use them, and that might be part of the reason they always seem to be undersized. I will say this, kids, high school kids and college kids can't afford human growth hormone for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'll take the different approach of that. It does happen for sure at most programs around the country in some form or fashion. I will also say that saying we don't do it and other teams do as a reason of why we're smaller is I don't agree with that either. I think we in the past have gotten guys who aren't as good and therefore they look smaller and they look slower. So I don't know. I'm not going to use that as an excuse as to why teams have lapped us, I guess. I would say, yeah. I mean, uh, that I I don't think that's fair, and I, I will say that it's fairly prevalent in my eyes, and you know people push the envelope all the time on what's legal and what's not, but if you get caught, you get caught, and that's pretty much simple as that. I, I will say with Colorado, they're probably more strict be about it because they've gotten in trouble with NCAA recently, um, so I, I will say that probably has an impact on it to some degree, but. I don't think it's is as big of a factor as to whether or not a team is a top twenty five team or not as people want to make it. But but I, I mean I think there on almost all programs in the country there's probably somebody that's pushing the envelope there. Yes. Steve Marshall, the former offensive line coach at Colorado under John Embry, made a comment one one day that made me chuckle. He goes, "Even my grandma can point out the top one hundred fifty recruits. They just look differently, right? Mm-hmm. Are some of those kids on steroids? Probably." 
but everyone's recruiting those kids, and it's the big time programs that are getting those kids in. They're just more physically mature. Yeah. And Colorado, by and large, has not been recruiting that. That's the big difference between the blue chip recruits is that they're just men amongst boys in most cases. Yeah. They're the and guys so, that project to go to the next level and then go to the big-time programs. That, that's why you look smaller, not because we don't use steroids and other teams do. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, baseball writers that covered the, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa era, they, they said they knew that there was a big issue in baseball. There was just too many people talking about it. I will say, though, that I have... Around high school and college circles, I don't really hear that topic brought up a whole lot. No, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, I, it's, I just don't think it's as big a deal as it used to be with how far advanced medicine and training and that kind of stuff has gone these days. There are now legal ways to do similar types of things like that that improve your body. So Yeah, so I, I think we both agree. There's some people that are, are juiced up for sure, but it's not necessarily yeah. the reason, you know, Colorado's not necessarily uh, doing themselves a disservice by not, Right. Making sure that the kids hold on. Yeah, that, that's how I would put it. Is that um, yes, some people do it. No, I don't think it's the reason that programs are better than us. All right, let's move along. R. B. Boulder, he asked, "What should we be looking for during spring practices?" I've got a list of things here. I'll let you lead off here, though, Tyler. Um. Well, I want to see Montez. That's wanna, first on my list. Yeah, I want to see how ready he is to take the reins. Obviously, Davis is coming in here to start. Most likely, Stefan's going to be out with injury, so it's going to be Montez's show because Davis isn't going to be here until the summer. Um, I think people will be excited to see his arm talent. Uh, whether or not he's ready to run the offense is kind of the big thing for me. Um, the next step is, does somebody step up at wide receiver? Um, and Got that number two on my list. Yeah, okay, good. We're <laughs> on the same page. And do the offensive linemen look like they're gelled together? Do we, or do we have Number three guys, on my list? Do we have yeah. enough guys back from injury <laughs> yeah. for that to take the next step? I think those are the, one, the things that I'm most curious about. Yeah, with Steven Montez, we saw him during camp and we were enamored, but especially in the scrimmage, he's running with the walk-on offensive lineman yeah. out there running for his life. It was hard to really get a gauge for him. He's going to be running prim- a lot of times the first-team offense. I, I think he's going to be probably running the first-team offense for the most part this year. At worst, the twos, so he'll be going against the ones or the twos. Yeah. So you'll finally get to see what his talent does. It was almost frustrating watching him last year because you have all this talent running around and he's throwing to walk-ons, and it's like <laughs> this is like he can't complete passes cuz nobody's open. So it'll be it'll be good to finally see him be on the right side of the field, I guess you could say. They usually split up the, you know, third and fourth teams from the yeah. first and the second and see what he does. The one knock on him was that he didn't uh, take any steam off his passes with some of the short to intermediate throws. We'll uh-huh. see if he's kind of developed a little bit more touch with those throws. Yeah. I also had uh, just kind of looking at the offense in general, do you notice a big difference with Cheverini's fingerprints on it? Is this a drastic difference, or is it just a few tweaks here and there? I'm kind of curious to see that. Can KB and Ento, their mid-year transfer at wide receiver, be a guy that can help this team out? We weren't necessarily as high on him as some other signees, but this will be our first chance to see. And, uh, yeah, obviously with Cheverini coming in, this is a, a first impression for guys like Bryce Bobo, Lee Walker, Devin Ross, guys that have struggled with consistency issues in the past. Um, the, going back to the old line, we, we kind of know, I think, if Jeremy Irwin's healthy, he's going to be left tackle. John LaSella, if you listen to Mike McIntyre talk about him, you know he's going to be their starting right tackle. Alex Kelly is established as your starting center. Uh, in those guard spots, uh, you know, is, is Shane Callahan going to step up and not be in a rotation this year? Or does Jonathan Hawkins beat him out for that role? Is Jared Coe better now that he's gotten his feet wet? Um, I'm kind of curious to see some of that and, and see – Obviously, that was the biggest issue for them offensively this last year was that group. And, and can they, now that they're more experienced, take that next step as a group? 
And here's a random one. Coulter Helderson. Most of our listeners probably don't know who that is. It's a walk-on kicker that's joining the team. He did, uh, they did like an open tryout for, for the students, and he got uh, an opportunity to join the team for the spring ball. Does he have a talented leg? Uh, you're going to laugh at this, Tyler. He's the first guy I'm going to look for out there during spring practices. See if he puts them through the uprights. Although in the past, we have learned from practice that whether or not you can make field goals in practice literally means nothing. <laughs> so... Well, you got to at least make them in practice, though, to have a chance to win the starting gig, right? Yeah, well, yes. But I just mean, like, it just it never translates to the field. Those kickers are so fragile <laughs> emotionally. It seems like that you just never know if kids are going to put them in or not. And there's nothing you can really do about that. How can you – you can't simulate the pressure no, of a game. Yeah, not at all. Not unless you make them do, like, 500 laps around the football stadium or something. Yeah. I mean, they do try doing some of that with pressure for running, but, again, it's, it's just – One lap, though. Yeah, that's come not going to do on. it. All right. RV Boulder had another question. Are there any possible position changes? Ooh. I was thinking maybe Nick Fisher to safety. He'd be on the shorter end a little bit. Yeah, they need they need help at safety, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, they definitely need more guys. I mean, it'll be keep Afalabi Laguda on the field and stop getting ejected. That would help, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, man. Here's one for you. I Joe, guess Cheeto is a... Technically, a position change next year. Yeah, is he going to be a nickel yeah. or play around? Here's uh, here's one for you, Tyler. Jaleel Awini. Do we put an offensive package in for him? I think you should after what you saw in that Utah game. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see him in some goal line situations for sure. He's very athletic. I, mean, I will say though that I thought he did a pretty good job at linebacker last year, um, being as green as he was in terms of knowing the position. So, uh, I'm on, and on special teams, I think you'll kind of see him moved all over the field. A little bit, and I think that would be a good thing. I mean, I don't know. Other position change. I guess Donovan Lee will probably be back at wide receivers. Does that qualify? Other position changes. Um, I don't know. I, I looked down the, the eligibility chart. I didn't see much yeah. that kind of stood nothing, out. Nothing super. Maybe some guys maybe moving from nose tackle to a three technique and back and right, forth yeah. just to kind of tinker Small there. I don't know. like that. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Dune1980R asked, which player who redshirted Last year will make the biggest impact this year. I got two names here, and uh, one guy is Lyle Twiloma. Was a scout team beast at nose tackle. Uh, kid from Hawaii that uh, really just an incredible story that kid had growing up, living, moving with his sister after his parents had issues, and uh, he scrapes together just enough money to go to this one camp, and that's where CU finds out about him. Um, do you have any names here you want no, to No, that was, that was the one that I was going to put on there, too. Um, anybody else? I, I guess, did Justin Jan end up Richard? He did. He did, right? So yep. I think he's somebody that they might use in that tight end wide receiver role a little bit as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see, especially um, who's be, who's back at tight end this year. Um, he, he might be forced into some action. Here's a, here's a name for you, and this is a quiz, Tyler, if you even know who this guy is. J.T. Bale. JT Bale is the long stand. Yes. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Got it. He was a walk-on that joined the team as a preferred walk-on from La, La Mirada, so they have had some luck with La, La Thanks, Mirada. Thanks, Appreciate you. <laughs> I hear that he's pretty good. They expect him yeah. to be the guy. So. I mean, I will say, we it's, it's, as long as we've been covering this program, we've never had any long snapper issues. So they always seem to find somebody who's capable in that role. No. There was, what was it, the Iowa State game where there was an issue with Justin Drescher and, like, getting the snap off or something crazy like that? If I remember right. I don't know. Justin Drescher got paid But he was really good. Yeah, I mean, he job. got paid a lot of money in the NFL for a yeah. long time. So I think he's still he in the league. I, he's, I think he's out this year. Is he? 
Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, I've told you before, this is a name that everyone's going to be hyped about. Eric Goodman comes into the bar sometimes, and they live together. Okay. So I'm pretty sure Drescher's out of the league this year. How's Eric doing? He's doing pretty good. Good. I mean, he's doing, I think he works in the finance industry now. I always felt bad Still, for him. It's, it's not that he didn't, he was trying to miss those kicks. Yeah, trying to hit the, hit the uprights, the uprights every time. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> Yeah, he, um, but I mean, still comes in, watches all the CU games, still a big CU fan, Good. despite, you know, going through some tough times with the fans, for sure. So, I mean, I appreciate that. that he I don't still think many guys could have gone through what he went through and still cheer for the program. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, from that perspective, I think that's pretty cool, in wearing a CU gear all the time. So He quietly had a decent senior year, but by then, the damage had already been done. <laughs> so, uh, Buffalo CT asked... What are the coaches' opinions of Steven Montez? Is he a big-time quarterback, possibly? Or did they get Davis Webb because they are concerned? Without the Mike McIntyre twist that everybody is great, please. <laughs> well, I don't think we do that on this podcast. I think we're, we speak our mind. Here's the deal. This is a really, really important year for Mike McIntyre and his staff. Steven Montez is still a redshirt freshman. I don't think bringing Davis Webb in was had anything ne- negative to do with Steven Montez. It's just that Davis Webb has played a lot of football. Yeah, I mean, I will, so I'm going to answer the question this way. Yes, they got Davis Webb because they are concerned. No, they did not da- get Davis Webb because they're concerned about Steven Montez. They're concerned about the health of Cepho. Um, that's why they got Davis Webb, not because they're worried about Steven Montez's long-term potential. Yeah, I agree with that. I do know that uh, they, the coaches were loving up Steven Montez, too, when they got Sharon Jones. And, like, they were worried. They didn't want him to get upset and leave because he has a ton of talent. Even if Sharon Jones was still on campus and you put a gun to my head and said, Adam, who's the starting quarterback in 2017, given that Cepho is not still in the program at the point, I'm still probably picking Steven Montez just because yeah. I've seen with my own eyes yeah, his talent. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I, until I see Sharon with my own eyes, you'd, ha- you'd have to be pretty talented for me to feel confident that you're going to get a job over Steven Montez. I think we've got one more question here. CT Buff asked, name the players that have the most to gain or lose from this year's spring practices. Definitely Montez you got to put at the top of that list. Yes. I would put um, Devin Ross very high on that list, yes. too. Yes. Um, Man, who else would I? I mean, I guess um, Josh Tupo. Does that count? Uh, He's talking about spring practices. Oh, yeah, he won't be back for spring practices. Um, To gain or lose? Michael Atkins? I have him on my list. Can you go through a spring ball, Michael, where you don't get hurt? Because I think with Darian Hagan taking over there, he's going to want to see some consistency out of that. And Darian Hagan's proven in the past that he, he will go with the feature back if he emerges. Michael Atkins has that ability to do that, but he's just never stayed on the field long enough to, to take that job. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are the two that pop into my head right away. Um, Addison Gillum would probably be pretty high. Well, he's not going to participate much, though. In, in all spring? I think he's just going to be basically conditioning, and that's okay. it. Well, I mean, I think that says a lot, sadly, again, with him. I mean, you know you know what I, my thoughts are on him. Until I see it actually happen, I just don't feel like he'll ever be back to being the same guy. But Given his history, um, though, Tyler, wouldn't you just – be precautionary with him. No, yeah, I agree. But, I mean, at this point, I mean, he's just spent so much time away from football that there's always that concern for me there. Um, who else has a lot to gain or lose? I mean, Isaiah Oliver, only because, I mean, they're going to ask him to take that next step uh, and, and be a starter for the defense. I, I think he's the really only guy that stands out to me defensively. 
So they have 89 scholarships allocated for 2017. We expected them to oversign a little bit because between signing day and fall camp, there's always some attrition, right? Yeah. That said, <laughs> Deshaun Rippey needs okay. to show yeah, up yeah. this spring. Yeah, that's a good one. Otherwise, there won't be a spot on the roster Yeah, it was for him. interesting. I still, I still follow Doug. He's like the only non-NFL CU guy I still follow. Doug he's Rippey. awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. And he was talking about how big of a year his cousin was going to have. And he's been pretty quiet on Deshaun during his time at CU because I think he's kind of, you know, he hasn't done exactly what you expected. So I'm hoping that he's kind of in his ear and getting them to, you know, like this is your last chance. you got to actually work hard and impress. You know, it's a, you know, I mean, it's a, to work under Jim Levitt, not, I mean, a lot of people would love that opportunity. And so far he hasn't taken advantage of it. So I'm hoping that Doug is kind of getting into his head and telling him, like, this is your last chance. Don't blow it. We talked about Michael Atkins. I think another running back you could talk about is Patrick Carr. He shown at times the potential to possibly be a feature back. Yeah, I, I just thought he's still a young guy. I mean, I think even if he doesn't explode this year, once once Lindsay and Atkins are gone, he'll at the, at, at the very least be you know, in that top two discussion moving forward as an upperclassman. So I still think he's got time. Well, I want to thank the fans that sent these questions. Tyler, didn't you think these were some, some good questions? Yeah, I mean, we definitely got to talk about a lot of different topics, which is good. And, I mean, you get to talk about the future of the program. That's always fun, too. I mean, it'll be it's a lot of speculation on what's going to happen in 2017. It'll be awesome to finally get some results there and see what we can come up with. Valentine's Day last weekend, you treat the, the lady right? Yeah, we were up in Breckenridge. Um, I had to work last night, though, or you know, Valentine's Day. Um, so we got we came back for that, but we're going to go to dinner this upcoming Thursday and do all that kind of stuff. So we'll, Good, we'll get away from uh, We'll do it a little bit after the crowds. But, yeah, she's she got taken care of. She's doing just <laughs> fine. Well, I'm excited about spring ball. This has got kind of the juices flowing a little bit, talking about some of this stuff. I really, yeah. really, really hope at least some of them are open. Yeah, I mean, it's coming up so quick. It's kind of crazy. Uh, again, we're going to kind of be overlapping with the Vegas tournament, which sucks. So we're going to have to miss a few days there. Two, if, two if practices, yeah. Yeah. But the first ones that are right before that are usually the ones that are open. So yeah, we'll see if we miss some of the open portion. of it. I hope they open them up. It was a lot of fun last year. We've been once we were able to go. We've been driving the Steven Montez hype train. Yeah. So I really hope he uh, shows up. I'm going to crash and burn with this thing, man, if I have to. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I just don't see how he he doesn't at some point help this program in a big way. Yeah. He's very talented. I agree. Well, I think that's a wrap here on this show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back. we got to do a full spring ball preview before we, we dive into those practices. We'll talk to you soon. Until we see the morning sun, sun, so give us room to do our things. We ain't come to hurt no one. one. So everybody come and get up on the floor now and grab someone. One. Man, first of all, I'm a boss. I just wanna get that across. Many even my dentist hates when I'm lost. Pull up to the club in a panel like it's a Porsche.